I want to welcome, my name's Rob, I'm one of the pastors here, and I do want to welcome you if you're here to, to support somebody else or see their baptism. I just hope you had, had a really great morning so far and continue to. If you're visiting us, welcome here. It's usually not this full, unless you really like it full, and then it usually is this full. <laughs> or at least you can help us make it fuller. Thank you for getting that. And... Um, so I just want to say thanks for being here, and um, Tony started off our time this morning by talking about the importance of the Word of God. This is why we're here. Um, this isn't anybody's great idea. We're, we have baptisms because the Word of God t- t- tells us, excuse me, that Jesus taught us and the apostles taught us to baptize people when they came to faith in Jesus. And so we want to have a time of just being in God's Word this morning, and we're going to be in Romans chapter... Six, And I just want to be sensitive to the fact that we've spent a great amount of time enjoying these baptisms, and so I've cut down the message to only two hours. <laughs> but you can listen to it again online if that doesn't quite give you your fix. Can we slow down this fan above me just because my papers are going to go flying What we've been doing the last few times I've been up here is just going over the basics of Christianity or the basics of following Jesus. Because when it comes to following Jesus, the basics are the best part. Um, There's lots of things about being a Christian, going on missions, having baptism services. There's lots of stuff that gets added into the Christian life. But the basics of what the gospel is, the basics of following Jesus are the very, very, very best part. And we don't want to get too distracted by peripheral stuff. We want to focus on Christ and what he's done because the basics are the best. And so we've been going over it. And so what we're going to do this morning as we're preparing to read Romans chapter 6, which is about baptism, is I just want to do a recap of our last few messages, okay? So if I can get this slide onto the next part, if technology serves me well, yes, first time ever. We're going to recap stuff. Now, I forgot to do something I want to do really quickly, okay? I think some of the people visiting us this morning are Dave and Lynn's grandsons. Is that true? Okay, so Lynn is clapping. She's even pulling her fingers back a little bit, so I know that it's a good thing. I just want you guys to know, I don't do this lots, I just want you young guys to know that your grandparents are some of the best people in the world, okay? And I wouldn't be here at all if it weren't for them. So just so you know, I think we, we, we agree on at least one thing. Your grandparents are really great people. And so that moment is done. Back to the recap. So our first message was called, It's About Faith. And what I was really focusing on this message is that the gospel is about faith. And our key verse was, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the message about what Jesus has done and who he is, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that word believes is our same word for faith. The power of God comes into someone's life when they believe the good news about Jesus Christ. And this is totally unique of any theology, philosophy, or religion in the entire world, including atheism, there is nobody else who is out here saying, you can have all of God by trusting in his Son, by looking to Jesus Christ with a look of expectation and hope and trust. You receive as a free gift everything God has for you. And this life 
of being a Christian is a life of faith. It's from faith, it's for faith, it's faith all between. It never stops being about the question, are you trusting Jesus? And if the answer is yes, you're on the right track. Okay, so this is the, where we started. Being a Christian is about faith in Jesus. It starts there. We're looking to a risen Lord and we're trusting him for salvation and everything else. It's a life of faith. And then we went to go and talk about the fact that this is about sin. Okay? People who um, aren't excited about faith often don't really understand the problem of sin. And we talked about Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and, and the description that from God's perspective, when he looks at the world, he sees a world in massive, hopeless trouble. We've rebelled against him. We don't really want to have a life spent thanking him and giving him glory for being God and the source of every good thing that comes to us. And in response, God has handed us over to our sin. It's like falling out of an airplane. You can do lots of great things when you've fallen out of an airplane. You can sing songs. You can high-five other people who have fallen out of an airplane. You can do lots of stuff, but there is a sudden stop coming at the end that needs to be dealt with. Or else, what does it matter? And this is the problem of sin. When you have sinned, when you are a sinner, there is, number one, a broken relationship with God, and number two, there is a catastrophic end at the end of your life. And if we don't get rescued, we are in trouble. And this is what we were talking about. And so our key verse from that message was this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or are made right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus to be received how adults? You remembered. Excellent. And kids, you say, don't forget. Do you remember, kids? Don't forget. Thank you very much. It does my heart good to, to know that people remembered thing one message to the next. I like that. And then the last time we got together, we talked about how it's about joy. That the Christian life is meant to be a life of joy. And yes, there are troubles, and yes, there are hurts, and yes, there are dark nights of the soul, but because of everything that God has done, He gives us, through the Holy Spirit, a joy that is below all of that trouble. It's like when you're under the water in a great big storm, that water isn't actually moving around that much. There's a huge storm, there's big waves going in over the water, but if you're in a submarine, it's still pretty calm down there. And so the scriptures tell us because God has rescued us by faith in Jesus Christ, we, have, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have hope for the future that things are going to turn out wonderfully well because we're trusting Jesus. We rejoice in our sufferings. We know that even though things are tough now and we're struggling, God has a purpose in it and he will see us through it. And we rejoice in God himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel has changed everything. So that instead of having a relationship with God that's broken where we're kind of worried that he doesn't like us and he doesn't want us and maybe it's going to turn out really bad at the end and how's this all going to turn, through faith in Jesus Christ, we know for certain that God is our dad and he is for us and he wants us and he likes us. And so we can be happy in him, not unlike grandchildren coming to spend a lot of time with their grandpa and grandma. You rejoice. This is wonderful because we know we have a good relationship. And what we've been saying is the way you have that great relationship with God is through faith in Jesus. And so today I want to talk about the fact that the Christian life is about, is about living. And so our verses for this morning are Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And I think on the next slide we can see that. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Father, thank you so much for your word and that we've seen nine or ten demonstrations of death and resurrection through these baptisms. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help all of us grow up into the truth of what happens in our baptism or stir our hearts where we need it, Lord, to just know that we need to be right with you. We want to walk in everything you have for us, walking by faith, dealing with sin, having the joy of God in our life, and living a true life in Jesus Christ. And I pray for all these things as a free gift through faith in Jesus. And amen. Sometimes we can draw wrong conclusions from things. Let me give you an illustration. When I was growing up, my parents were fairly free with their car keys with me once I got my driver's license. And this was back in BC when I was younger, before they had like 130 different levels of driver's license that you could have, which essentially said when you're driving, you can't have any friends in the car, can't be out after dark, and can't, you know, have scored less than an A-plus on your last test at school. I don't know how vigorous they are nowadays, but they were pretty free with the, 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 the keys, And at one point in my life, I think I drew the wrong conclusion that because they were pretty free with the car keys, that was an invitation for me to try to hit 140 on the street in the back roads that led to my parents' house in Vernon, B.C. many years ago. That was a wrong conclusion, that because I got the keys of the car, I could try to impress my friends by hitting 140 on a street that ended with a T-intersection and a big ditch on the other side of that road. Wouldn't you think that, parents, does anybody here have a car and somebody who wants to borrow the car keys? Do they need to be told it is a wrong conclusion to draw that because I give you this key, you can see how far down the needle you can bury when you're coming up to a stop sign? That was a wrong conclusion, which I thankfully survived along with everybody else. But we can draw wrong conclusions. And some people in Paul's day drew the wrong conclusion that because of the gospel, this is a great call for people to sin more. If God has forgiven sins as a free gift through trust in Jesus Christ and his cross, and because it is the glory of God to be so gracious and kind to sinners to forgive their sins at Christ's expense, then surely it must mean that we should go on sinning. Because the more I sin, and the more God forgives me, the bigger of a forgiver he is, which makes him a more awesome God, and so the bigger the sins I do, the more glorious God is in, my, in forgiving me, and so I should just keep on sinning. Doesn't that make sense? I, he- I heard somebody laughing. I just need one person to admit that there, that kind of makes sense. Every, every, every heresy makes sense on some level. And so Paul wants to deal with this thing because it could make sense for somebody to say, I'm forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ, so it doesn't matter what I do next, and if I want to sin, that's okay. In fact, it will just make God look better 
as a bigger forgiver for me. And this is an important subject to deal with because everybody knows what we do matters. Okay? What I do matters. What you do matters. What people do to you matters. Isn't that right? Okay? Married people, don't you care how your spouse treats you? Kids, don't you care how your, parent, your mom and dad treats you? Like they have all that money and they hardly give you any of it. <laughs> Even though Call of Duty 97 is coming out like next week. Or the week after that. How many times do you need to get called to duty before you just get out there and do something with your life? Anyhow, follow your notes. We care about how people treat each other. And when you know that God is holy and just and good, it matters what we do. And so Paul needs to deal with the fact that, hey, Christians still sin. What are we going to think about that? And does the gospel actually help people sin less? That's a big deal. Will believing in Jesus actually change my life? Because most people actually do want to be freer of sin. Most people who blow up in their marriages want to do that less. Am I right or am I wrong? Is it just me? Most people actually want to be better parents. Most people actually want to be more pleasant to be around at their work. Most people actually do want to be transformed. So if this gospel does not actually impact my heart and my life, what are we doing here? That is part of what Paul is trying to deal with here. And so he goes somewhere with these two questions. Should I just keep on sinning and celebrating it? And will this actually help change my life? These two questions he brings together into one first response, and that is, look at your baptism. And he does something really weird here to us. He says, of course you can't go on sinning because you're dead. Isn't that weird? Has anybody ever told you that before? Of course you just can't go on sinning. You've died. It's right up there on the board. By no means. How can we who have died still live in it? When's the last time somebody ever told you that? Micah, put away your Lego. Don't you know you're dead? Well, you don't, but you'll grow into it. I'll help you. This is the most strange, unexpected response to the question, should I keep on sinning and will this change my life, that we would never expect. Of course this will change your life because you're dead in Jesus. You've died to your sin in Jesus. So of course we can't go freely sinning. We're dead to sin. And what Paul is doing here is he's trying to, he's bringing in this whole truth that when you become a Christian, you become totally united with Jesus. So far, he's been talking about what we think, where hearts at, where our faith goes, how that changes our relationship with God. But now he's starting to say, you're actually a different thing. Micah, come here for a sec. Come here. I want you to stand here for a second. You can't see the most important stuff that happens to somebody. You're doing great. He just looks like a normal kid. You, and he's even missing a tooth. 
which makes him look cute, but very normal. And you can't tell that he actually died 2,000 years ago on a cross outside of Jerusalem and then spent about 48 hours in a tomb and then came out of it. You can't see it, but it's true because God said it's true and because by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's effective. You can go sit down. Thank you very much. See, he didn't even have to do anything. And this is where faith really comes in, okay? Through our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, we are in Christ and everything he did counts for us now and actually changes our lives. First of all, it changes our lives by reorienting our brains. Paul says a little bit later on, he says, Verse 11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because of what God did to you, you need to think differently. Should you just go on sinning? No, 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 no. Instead, you're supposed to consider yourself dead to your sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so this is, I've got an example here. Come on, anybody can start laughing at me now because you know that to me, a really intense game of chess is a, is a sports workout. So this is going to be funny. Okay, so I put this on. Any Riders fans in the room? Can you, you can make yourself known. This is a safe place. Okay. The, the parking lot, on the other hand, is not patrolled or security cameras. So. But inside the sanctuary, you're okay. So how do you feel about me now? Did things just change? Can we still be friends? Yeah, things changed. You put on a jersey like this, and if you mean it, a bomber's jersey. So if you wear a jersey like this, you're guaranteed that, you know, you're going to have a crowd to fit in with. People are going to, if I go to a game, um, I, I get accepted by people just because of this, right? People start looking at this, and I'm part of that crowd, and we all get together after the game for a, a tailgate party where we get to kind of just say, maybe next time. But you put this on because it says, this is who I am. And all of a sudden, people wearing green jerseys like this, you don't like them so much. I still like you guys, don't worry. But like, if you were wearing a jersey, like seriously, it'd be on. Like Dave and Lynn couldn't even stop it. Because you know you got this on, and this sets your friendships, this sets your enemies. This decides whose team you're on, who you're rooting for. And what Paul is saying is here is you are joined with Christ in his death and resurrection. He died for sin and he died to sin. And now you're on team Jesus. And so sin is the enemy. Amen. So should we go on sinning? No, 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 no. That's the wrong Jersey. You're on the wrong team. It's like own goal. Every time we have Christian sins, own goal, ah, you're going to get assassinated in Mexico if you keep kicking the soccer ball through your own net. True story, 1998 or whatever it was, World Cup. This is the beginning of the reasoning. We're supposed to, as Christians, just go, hold on a sec. Sin is the other team. I'm on team, I've died to sin and been raised with Jesus. Of course I'm not supposed to love sin anymore. Of course I'm not supposed to find kooky theological reasons to keep on sinning. Of course not. That's the wrong team. 
I'm going to take this off so our friends from other provinces can enjoy the message again. But I want to go even deeper. And just for a little bit, I want to go even deeper because this isn't just about mindsets and mind games. Okay, Our unitedness with Christ is the spiritual reality for every Christian, especially those who have obediently been baptized. This is who we are. And so we are supposed to go through life reminding ourselves who we really are in Christ. Amen? So let me just tackle a couple ways that Christians can talk, which are okay, but I think could use a little tweaking, okay? So if you talked like this, or you just were talking about this this morning, I'm not after you, I'm not on your back, I'm not embarrassing you, I'm just saying there's, we can go a little deeper, okay? Christians can say, I'm so glad that I have Jesus in my life. And I know what you're saying by that. You're saying there was a time I didn't know God, and now I heard the gospel, I've come to Jesus. I know what you're saying. But my question for us to think about is, when we say, I have God in my life, or I have Jesus in my life, my question for us is, what life? What life do you have him in? You're dead. And his life is in you. And you're in his life. And this is who you are. Robert Belfort does not have a life. Many of you have thought this for a long time, and I'm here to confirm the truth. I do not have a life. I have Jesus, and I'm in him. I'm in his life. I was doing a little jog the other day, um, just because I find I, I meet the Lord with it, and I was remembered that I've heard people say before, this is ways Christians can talk, number two, and sometimes we can be praying for people and wanting to encourage them when they're discouraged about their life, and we'll say something like, God doesn't look at you how you are now. He looks at who he's making. He looks at the you you're going to become. He looks at the mature you or the purified you or whatever it is. And I was running and I was just thinking, I don't want that either. Because my gospel says I am totally united with Jesus. I don't want God to see who he's making me. I want him to see Jesus. I want him to see Robert Belfort totally united with Jesus. You know why? Because that's the only Robert Belfort there is. I am dead. The me before I came to Jesus is dead, pushing up daisies, worm food, just gone. There is no Robert Belfort anymore in this world. There's only me in Jesus. There's only Jesus in me. We're united. It's a done deal. And everything else is just the physical world which will one day catch up with it. I have the joy of uh, knowing that I'm going to be helping with a wedding in a few weeks. And a wedding is great. When you perform a wedding, it's like a double homicide. I think Tony wants me to explain it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just leave that. Maybe you'll have to figure it out. You take two people who aren't, they're individuals, and then through the wedding ceremony and everything that consummates it, in God's sight, they become one flesh. And those individuals are gone. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. They're a married couple, and you can't undo what's happened. So much so that even in Canada, when you're married, you can either become a widow or you can become a divorcee, but you never go back to what you were before. And that's what's happened with us in Jesus. You've died. You've died. I've died. 
there is no Robert Balfour, there is no my life, there is no what I'm going to become on my own. It's just Jesus. It really, 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 really is. And the reason I'm harping on this, and the reason you keep wondering if I'm taking this whole pulpit down off the stage with me, is because according to Paul, this is where all true transformation comes from as a Christian. Not guilt, not shaming, not browbeating, not nagging, not any of that stuff. All true transformation, all true getting free from sin is standing before God and saying, I believe in Jesus and I believe he has actually dealt my, my sin a death blow through Christ. If you go outside when you're, we're done here and you go and you look, we used to have these really beautiful elm trees. They were gigantic, like 30 or 40 years old. And they got a disease. And they're dying. And so the province has come and they put this great big red spray paint ring with a tag on those trees. Which means these things are going to get leveled, cut down, burned, destroyed, get rid of them. They're useless. They're diseased. And a baptism is the red ring going around this tree. And the Spirit in us is bringing the death of Christ to our sin, causing the leaves of sin to wither, causing it to dry out and rot. And one day, not too soon, Jesus will return and he will totally, completely kill our sin. Final dead, gone forever. But this is who you are. The death of Christ at work in you, believer. You're no longer a slave to sin. Sin has been dealt a death blow. And this is supposed to be the beginning of all true Christian transformation. Not guilt, not shame, not fear, not browbeating, not even pulpit thumping, though sometimes we need to thump pulpits so that we listen when the pastor says, you're dead to your sin in Christ by faith. Amen? And because you're dead with Christ, you're also raised from the grave with Christ. Christian, this is who you are. This is why you need a worship leader every once in a while to covertly say that Dave Kaler taught him about the fact-faith-feeling train. We need to start with the facts. The facts are, I'm dead in Jesus, and I'm raised from the dead in Jesus. The power of his death is at work in my life, and the power of his resurrection is at work in my life. This is the fact, and I put my faith in what God has done, and my feelings get to pull get pulled along there. And sometimes when we feel like, I'll never change, those are feelings, and you need to take those feelings into the woodshed and give it a severe spanking until it will confess the truth that you're dead with Christ and alive with Christ, and there is hope, hope, always more hope. As long as Jesus is alive, there is hope for you, Christian. Amen? Amen. I can tell by your faces that some of you don't believe me yet. This is a very sturdy pulpit, and I can hit it harder if you need me to, though I have soft hands because I don't play football. I'm just going to finish by reading a few more verses here. And I just want you to let these words sink into you. This is basic Christianity. Where does all freedom from sin come from? It comes from being united with Christ, trusting in who he is, and knowing who you are in him. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for who, the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian, basic Christianity. It's about faith. It's about really dealing with sin so we can have a great relationship with God as our Father. It's about joy. It really is about joy. If you know a lot of Christians who are cranky all the time, you might want to ask yourself, maybe there's something missing there. Because the Bible says it should be about joy. And it's about having real life, a real life in God and a real life with Christ through his death and resurrection. Why don't we pray? Father, I just thank you so much. Father, I know up here, having done this sermon, that this is unusual thinking, Lord, that the greatest thing that sets us free is just knowing that we're united with Christ in his death. And I pray, Lord, that our faith would rise to these truths and we would be able to run down the street jogging and just say, the truth is I have died with Christ and I'm raised from the grave and I don't want anything to come in between the fullness of my unity with my Lord. Father, I pray that as we enjoy these truths, you would be breaking down the habits, breaking down the old man, breaking down our sinful nature so that we will have nothing in between us enjoying you and living the life you've called us to in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you bless every single person here and help us to hear exactly what you're saying to them and us through the Holy Spirit. And amen.